As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Gabby here, and and I'm Stephen. Hi, <laughs> and welcome back to the Mystery of Everything podcast. Okay, so this week we both have strep throat. We brought it back from somewhere, <laughs> and so Brenna, my co-host, could not make it to my house to record. So Stephen, my husband from the History of Everything podcast, is filling in. And if somehow you're here listening to Mystery of Everything, having not heard History of Everything, that's wild. Um. That, that's crazy. Anyway, without further ado, we're going to jump into today's topic because he actually helped me co-write it. Yeah, at least in the historical <laughs> context of it. And the episode is on human sacrifice, a topic that I find absolutely fascinating. Um, that's one way to describe it. Yeah, now that I say it out loud, I'm like, that's a little bit morbid. So <laughs> morbid fascination. Yeah, yeah. There's, I guess there's a reason why you have all those podcasts and things that are like the... Um, uh, no, it's not killer ones. What, what is it like disappeared and all that stuff? There's I a morbid only fascination. like missing cases. That's Because it. it baffles me that people go missing in today's age with technology and we can't find them. Anyway, that's not the topic. Oh yeah, no, day. no, definitely not. <laughs> okay. Anyway, back to my morbid fascination of human sacrifice. I'm sure everybody's a little bit fascinated by it. Oh right? yeah, I'm sure. And if not, well, you can get a metaphorical medal. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> anyway, a lot of these experiences of human sacrifice involve religious belief, superstition, or just wartime practices. Because what is the better thing to do than sacrifice to people you just absolutely slaughtered in a war? Eat their hearts. Steal well, their strength. Well, yeah. It. Yeah. A lot of cultures did do that. A lot of them did that. Yeah. Especially going back into the more ancient ones that didn't have contact with a lot of different peoples. Yeah, they did. Also, it makes a lot of sense. If you want like bigger biceps, you eat a bicep. There is a logic to like, it. Of, like I can see where they got there. Listen, it's just how else do you think they got their protein, right? Beans? No. Human flesh. Amongst other things. Amongst other so things. let's travel through space and time to find out exactly what set the stage for human sacrifice. My goal is to find out what really got the juices flowing. The juice, ah, ah. <laughs> the juice in question uh, being blood. Listen, there's brain juice. There's um, there's other fluids. We could talk about fluids that are flowing, but if you talk about fluids, that could mean many other things. I had to include that joke. I'm so sorry. I'm going to be serious now. For this episode, we're going to define human sacrifice, look at the most common types and beliefs, and then get into the specifics of cultures that have practiced or according to Google, still practice. Apparently, there are some cultures that still practice human sacrifice. Oh, yeah, there are. Please understand that I'm using my graduate school login info in order to access the research articles that I used to write this entire episode. So please appreciate me. That was a huge sacrifice. And I'm sure I'm getting flagged in sacrifice. some system. It was, it was a huge sacrifice, you said? 
Was it, was it Gabby? Was it a huge sacrifice? Not as big as the ones we're going to get into today, but it was still major on my part because I am an environmental graduate student, not a human sacrifice anthropology graduate student. So. Can I say something though? Technically speaking, it. think about it. I, I know this is going to be morbid, right? Just, But just hear me out on this. Technically speaking, if we sacrificed like half the population of humanity, wouldn't the impact on the environment afterwards be like, like there could be an environmental study Thanos. that could be talked about. This, this. is Thanos. No, no. see, no, because his idea was stupid. It didn't make any sense. All right. I'm saying this right now for hard to, to, for anyone talking about stuff for sacrifice. That is stupid because his whole thing wasn't wiping out half of like humanity. His whole thing was half of all life. You know what that means, right? That is half of every single stalk of grain. That is half of every bacteria. Right. That is half so of every creature. Actually... It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Like, yeah, I guess there's more space afterwards here, but things are still- The real like gag is, and not to get all environmental scientists graduate students, um, the earth can actually support a lot more people. It's just the way that we use the resources that we have is screwing us all over. I'm just saying. Oh yeah, no. It wouldn't help to get rid of anyone because it will still fall back into the exact same places where certain people, certain entities are still gonna find a way to screw us all over. There is also the logic about the more people you have, the more brain power there is behind something. It's like as population goes up, ideas, there's more of them. More things can happen. Yeah. So human sacrifice is typically the offering of a human life to a god. Britannica really carried the research on this section. Oh, yeah. I'm just letting you know. So in most <laughs> cultures, the sacrifice focuses on blood, but some other cultures kill their victims in ways that shed no blood, such as strangulation or even drowning. Oh, yeah. Even in the Christian Bible, we see an almost human sacrifice in the Old Testament of Abraham being tested by God in order to sacrifice his only son on an altar. But it's like, no, just just kidding, bro. Just kidding. Like, do you have any idea how many comedy skits I've seen of like God, like being half a second too late and just like showing up? It's like, oh yeah, hey, I was totally kidding. Oh, uh. Yeah, that story was really baffling to me as a child because they tell it to us as children in my religion anyway. And I was like, um, it seems really not like the best. No, no. A do. lot of the old stories like so, that are, are weird. Yeah. Anyway, he stopped before he can act on it, but it's a pretty good example of what most human sacrifice has been in history. The two main types of human sacrifice are the offering of a human being to a God and the slaughter of servants in order for them to accompany their master into the afterlife. <laughs> that would suck. Do you know how many times like a person who's already elderly got a whole bunch of new like slaves or like new wives or whatever and then died literally within a couple months? And what then happened? <laughs> they were expected afterwards to follow their new master to the afterlife. I'm assuming it was a lot. Oh yeah, yeah. Because you got to think the wealthier you were, the more you could afford. So you did that all the way into your old age. Not great. No. So, although we do have, uh, uh, sorry, my hair just got in my mouth. <laughs> but although we do have mysterious cases of human sacrifice, such as the Irish bog bodies, which is a mystery in and of itself. Don't worry, we'll dive into that much later into the episode. Wasn't that the one that had no nipples? Or is that some of them? We'll dive into that later. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So cultures that practice the burial of slaves, servants, advisors with their masters are various places in Africa, Egypt, the ancient Middle East, and China. China is kind of unhinged because the people they buried weren't even servants. It was literally just the emperor's board of advisors. Like, if I worked in his cabinet, I would be sweating. Literally every single time he got a cold, I'd be like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, there was a potential. Like, it could happen, you know. Like, they'd, they'd actually just 
Every, I just it, it's going to depend upon the strength and authority the Wouldn't the advisors king. of the king be like these smarter people? Wouldn't they want them around mm -hmm. to help with the stability of the country afterwards? Here's one of the things you also have to remember. There are many different points in which advisors, particularly for educated people, could be like eunuchs or other individuals that were slave advisors. Like they were still servants and slaves, but they had higher positions of authority. That's not the case for every single case here, but it's like, even then you're only going to find certain circumstances and we can't even interpret. I didn't say interpret. That's all we are basically doing. We can't say with absolute certainty, a lot of those old cases that it was precisely one way every single time. Like we know servants were the case. We know that wives were the case, but then there would always be that one weirdo that would be like, Hey guys, you're all coming with me. <laughs> You know. never know. I feel like that's a little bit of a power trip. Like they know that if they ordered it, no one can really say no, even if they're dead, because someone's going to be like, hey. I feel like that's a little bit beyond just a power trip. That is, that is way further. Also, I don't know if this one qualifies as human sacrifice, but a human is essentially sacrificing themselves. So I say it counts. But in India, sati or sati was practiced when a husband died. As he was being cremated, the wife would essentially place herself on the funeral pyre. Now, this was sometimes done willfully, but typically, as we would expect, it was also forced. But we can go back and explore that later on, since the entire thing, since how the entire thing came about is fascinating. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of those really mess story that is still talked about here for a lot of things. I remember it was mentioned in Around the World in 80 Days when I was a child. I read that book when I was way too young, as most books that I read. Um, and I remember that part. I think that's why he rescued the lady that he would later on marry himself. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. But. I will say this as well for a lot of people that get confused about it because you'll still see people that argue about it online saying it. It's like one of the things that would justify British imperialism. Like, no, people straight up do. That's one of the things that you will actually see. I kid you not. But even then, it wasn't as widespread across as what people think it was. Like, it wasn't a entire Indian subcontinent thing. It was like specific regions within it had that. Interesting. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. It was, it's massive. Even to this day, with the way that how big it is, the culture varies so much from northern and southern India. Oh, yeah. Like, it's, it's basically, it could be two different places, like two different countries. That's how different the culture can be. For thousands of years, it was completely different countries. In fact, it wasn't just two different countries. It was hundreds, thousands of different little ones all with their own unique culture, language, etc. So in the case of sacrifices to gods, we know it was practiced by Aztec and Nahua in order to appease the sun. The Inca sacrificed when new leaders rose to the throne. Apparently children were burned by the Assyrian and Canaanite religions and sometimes among the Israelites, but that is a whole other thing in itself. The Asante sacrificed humans during the festival of new yams. We can see a small theme with cultures sacrificing to ensure sufficient food because Everyone had their own little superstitions on how they're going to get fed the next year. What's going to prevent a drought? What's going to make sure there's a bountiful harvest? What's going to make sure the soil is fertile? What's oh, going to yeah. make sure the sun comes up? So you, it happens. It happens. However, there are way more rumors of human sacrifice occurring than actual human sacrifice that has occurred. So a lot of the rumors either come from legends that were told, as in the case of the Greek myths, which led people to believe that they were sacrificing humans, However, no evidence has been found in support of this. Another case would be in Christianity and Judaism. Christianity may have had a misunderstanding because we all know the blood of Christ, the body of Christ when yeah. we're doing communion, right? Um, so people would hear this and think, oh my gosh, 
they're eating people. In the early days, and that's it was actually one of just, the things that happened is the Romans accused the Christians of being like cannibals and shit. I mean, when you walk around being like, I'm drinking my homie's blood. I can see how that would get misconstrued. Uh, yes. In ye old language, I'm drinking my homie's blood. I mean, Jesus was their pal. And they were like, oh, I'm going to eat his body now. Come on. Come on. The optics of that? Think about it. <laughs> Hold on. Uh, do you know there's that whole thing about like, because obviously there's the whole story of multiplying fish and bread and everything, you know, the, the whole thing for mm -hmm. feeding a crowd. Um, technically speaking, humans are perfectly capable of multiplying themselves just to feed others. <laughs> okay. Anyway, <laughs> Jewish people were accused of sacrificing Christian children at Passover. And this is a comparatively recent accusation as it ran from the Middle Ages until recently and caused a lot of problems for the community as a whole. Oh, yeah. All the pogroms, like where they would just oust and uh, straight up like riots in there to murder and drive out Jews from varying regions. They did. They also accused Jews of like poisoning wells. Essentially, any time something happened in a city that was bad, because, uh, you know, centers of disease and everything, uh, that's what cities they were. They always blamed the Jewish people. And the Jewish people always lived in the cities, in the Jewish quarters, because that's where a lot of the educated stuff was and where they could get community. Wow. Yeah. So, again, human sacrifice, you might have heard rumors about it. A lot of <laughs> rumors about human sacrifice were actually not true, because it was just people being like, oh, we shouldn't trust them. They sacrificed children. Yeah. Or, oh, we shouldn't trust them. They eat their homie. So. It would also be tied to things like, like witchcraft and whatnot, like accusing certain groups of, uh, of being like witches and other things. But it's really ironic that all of these other religions were like, oh, that other religion is sacrificing people and that other religion is sacrificing people. And then a lot of these human sacrifices were all religion based. Mm -hmm. A little bit of irony there. So. The really fascinating thing about ritual human sacrifice is that it happened right around the time of societies developing a complex and stratified system. You would think it wouldn't, but it did. This was due to the fact that it was a method of control, a way to keep enemies at bay and to keep your own population and subjects afraid of you. The best oh, yeah. way to avoid an uprising is to simply make everyone afraid to stand against you. We see this in Egypt and in China and as well with the Aztecs. Oh, majorly on and the Aztecs. And you'll see part. how interesting that was. Like they planned ahead. They were like, in case of an uprising, we have all of these people we have in this cage that we can sacrifice if we need to. Just to remind everyone that we can do this. Oh, yeah. And I think that that is overkill. Like they never heard of like... um. I don't know. How do people prevent re revolutions nowadays? We do it without sacrificing people. So um, Also, I'm trying to think about here in terms of preventing a revolution. Usually when something breaks out, especially in the day and age of social media, some things can just happen way more spontaneously. Uh, oh, we have like planning. tear gas and like too much military equipment. So I think that's how they prevent it. I mean, something is not necessarily happening here, but like what? When that whole thing happened in um, the Arab Spring, like back in, in 2012, 2013, that was all sparked by a guy who set himself on fire. Okay, so apparently society has not figured out how to prevent revolutions effectively mm -mm. yet. But one day, I hope we will. <laughs> okay, so let's look at some specifics because I'm really excited to dissect this topic. Sorry. I, do, do jokes just feed it? 
the jokes are Feed, just, huh? they're Feed, just there. The section. So yeah. anyway, first off the bog bodies and this can be a whole episode in and of itself. Like the mystery of the bog bodies. I'm pretty sure they're the ones in the U S I'm pretty sure Mini Minuteman did a video on this or there like on the been, American bog, North American bog bodies. There have been some, but a lot of what people have found usually is like a, a, a sources for ancient animals and stuff like the tar pits and other stuff where they would find old, uh, like preserved creatures and things. Okay. So I'm sure a lot of you are aware of this, but for those of you who are not, the bog bodies are essentially exactly what you think. They're bodies found in bogs. This isn't so strange at first when you realize that lots of people have been lost to bogs in history. They're a little bit um, different from other types of wetlands, if we think about it. So the strange part comes about when you look at how these people died. The thing about bogs is they're an acidic, low oxygen area, which means microorganisms aren't able to break down the organic tissue of remains, which gives us some pretty decently preserved remains of bodies that have been there for centuries. So where does human sacrifice come in? Um, it's definitely not from the microorganisms because those couldn't actually fulfill any, fill any of the stuff. I'm so curious. What do you know about the bog bodies? I can literally info dump about bogs right now because I just finished my wetlands class, but I won't because it's not okay. that important. See, it varies. It varies. And this is where a lot of the stuff, we don't know so much of it. And here's one of the key reasons as to why we don't, right? So a lot of our sources, even coming back for talking about the bog bodies, goes back to like Ireland, right? Because that's where Ireland- That's where half, a lot of yeah, bogs are, like, like bogs, peatlands, bogs, fens. Yeah. Fens have actual water flow through, though bogs don't. Yeah. So. Major problem though, uh, Ireland for the longest time did not have any kind of written history for anything religious, right? So we, we have all of these kinds of early descriptions of stuff that is of Christians describing certain Irish-like folklore and pagan practices. Hundreds of years, even after it was disappearing. So a lot of the stuff for the ancient Irish religion and everything, we have been trying to piece together for literally hundreds of years. We don't know. And so it goes back even to the whole thing with bogs. Like when you found all these bodies and stuff in it, they're able to guess for a number of the things. And one of the stuff is that they found literally what looks to be a nobleman with his nipples cut off. And that's where the whole thing comes about of like, oh, they, 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 there was an Irish tradition of, of sucking a king's nipples to show that you were subservient to him because it's like the king. Okay. Think about this. Remember we covered this whole thing in France on the history one where the king of France is the first baker of France. Yeah. Well, I guess it's like the king of Ireland or the king of that, or the tribe was is, the you know, milk cow of Ireland. It was the milk. Okay. Cattle. This is going to sound dumb. Cattle really important to Irish. Like, like they were ranchers a lot and stealing people's cattle was how you got more wealth because they were a bunch of raiders. They would steal each other's stuff. That's what would happen. So technically speaking, the king was the milkmaid of Ireland. Okay. Well, my example was Toland men, and it was way less cool than nipple king. <laughs> oh, nippleless king. Sorry. Hey, y'all. Spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. 
We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. So he was found by peat harvesters near the village of Toland in 1950. When he was found, he wore a belt and a cap made of skin, but nothing else. And he had a plaited leather thong wrapped tightly around his neck. Not the fun thong. No, so no. this is like a tie. Don't, don't be confused about it. He didn't have panties so, on him. He was so well-preserved that people thought of him as the victim of a recent murder, but he actually lived roughly 2,300 years before. So guys, if you want to see how well-preserved this body was for something that was literally over 2,000 years old, it is on display at the Silkeborg Museum in Denmark, which I am going to when we go to Denmark this spring. Oh yeah, we can do that. From the material wrapped around his neck, it was inferred that he had been hung, but he was so carefully arranged after death that it is widely accepted by scholars that he was killed as a human sacrifice instead of as a criminal execution. Hmm. Scholars think that people were selected as human sacrifices to possibly avert a pending disaster like a famine. Also, this theory is supported even further when you realize that he was so well-preserved, they were able to figure out his last meal, and it was a porridge of flax and pale persicaria. Wait, what is so, persicaria? The presence of persicaria is the indicator that he was more than likely a sacrifice because it is known as a threshing waste and not something that people would typically eat, which indicated that he may have been shamed by being given, given something horrible to eat or the food at that time was scarce. Oh. So they're getting famine from the fact that he was eating persicaria because people didn't eat it. No, that makes sense. So that, that either indicates like, hey, they really didn't like this guy or they didn't have enough food for people to eat, you know, that not persicaria. Sense. That makes sense. So either way, the fact that he was placed in a bog shows that he was more than likely sacrificed since bogs were seen as gateways to another realm. Since if you put a body in a bog, it wouldn't decay and it would stay between the worlds of the living and dead. And this is the really fucked up part, you guys. Essentially, that would keep him from reuniting with anyone in the afterlife. It's kind of sad. Like, I understand staving off famine. I understand sacrificing someone. But you're going to leave him in the midway between death and life. That's, I thought that was so messed up. I'm not judging, though. I'm just a little bit confused. That is something I would, okay. Like, I understand sacrificing the dude. But why, why, why do that? If that that's, I wonder about that. If that sounds like a noble thing that you would be doing, I guess, of sacrificing something specifically to save others. Well, even if they're in the state between life and death and whatnot, wouldn't, do we, do, how do we know this? What that, do you mean? Well, what I mean is like, do we know that like that was their belief? Was that the person's soul would be trapped there? Well, we know that when they put the body, like the bogs were seen as the gateways to the other realm and your body had to decompose in order for you to move on into the afterlife. So they knew that the bogs wouldn't allow, there were no micro, like the microorganism oh. activity wouldn't decompose the body. So they knew what they were doing by placing someone into the bog. Does Dang. that make sense? It does. I'm just wondering what their thought process was for like, it's like, okay, <laughs> you might be damned for all eternity. I like Thanks to think of it us. as maybe like a guardian, like maybe something suspicious was happening and they thought people were coming back from the afterlife. So they put him there as a guardian. Oh, That's my like head a protective canon, spirit kind of thing. But I have nothing to 
like place that. I have no nothing to back that up with. Makes sense. I just think it's way cooler than the sadder one. <laughs> so anyway, the thing about bog bodies is that we're able to piece things together, but there's still a mystery and we don't really know why they were sacrificed. And we also can't be 100% sure that they were sacrificed. Okay. So up next is ancient Egypt. Proof of human sacrifice in ancient Egypt comes from graves in Abydos, which was a city in Southern Egypt that served as Egypt's capital at different points. These sacrifices were practiced around 5,000 years ago in the early days of Egypt, and they were for a form of retainer sacrifice. So it's like the servants and stuff that they would be sacrificing. Exactly. Yeah. Retainer sacrifices are those listed earlier where servants were buried along with their masters, kings, or pharaohs. King Aha of Abydos' tomb was excavated. He was the second pharaoh that ruled over a united Egypt during the first dynasty. Directly outside the funerary enclosure of the pharaoh, dozens of other graves were found and the bodies in them were male-aged, 20 to 25, that died by what was identified as strangulation. Oh man, just can't catch a break. You know, boss like choking you, keeping you down. And then in the end, they choke you and really keep you down forever. I just, I feel like they were, this wasn't a job. They were literally probably enslaved. Oh yeah, no more than likely. Yeah. So there were also tombs of artisans, courtiers, and other high positioned people. King Jer, who ruled after Aha, and once they explored his tomb, they found 559 other graves. That's a lot. Yeah. So this guy ruled right after King Aha. And he just, yeah, he went up with a lot of graves. What about the gender of those graves, Gabby? Do tell. <laughs> his tomb was not only men. Because you remember the first tomb was men ages 20 to 25. This one also included many women. However, out of his massive gravesite, experts believe that only 99 of the bodies were retainer sacrifices. After Jer's massive grave, though, the following pharaohs seem to have smaller and smaller satellite graves. So after, so King Aha had a decently sized amount of people buried with him. King Jer had 559, like 559 graves. He took it to the next level. That next but level was like six King feet under. But King Jet only had 174. Queen Merneith only had 41. King Den had 83. King Semerket had 68. Until retainer sacrifices stopped being common at all in Egypt. So I guess they realized that it was a little bit um, not cool. Yeah, I would also think that things would kind of evolve and change there over that time. Because... I, this is just theory, mind you. I'm not saying this as I know this with absolute certainty, but it's a unified Egypt, right? In comparison to all of that, you had all these varying little independent city-states that were being, you know, contested over. And there was probably, at that time, more just like symbols of authority and things they were utilizing. But after a certain time period, uh, I'm pretty sure that's where they got in like, ah, oh, hey, we don't need to sacrifice the people. We're just going to bury you with lots of grave goods. You know, that's where you get buried with like, you know, your favorite comb and all these other things and all this treasure and also all of your pets that end up getting mummified and killed too to be sent. Wait, they kill their pets? Oh yeah, no, that's the thing. You, you, they had like mummified cats, mummified all different kinds of animals that would go with them to serve them in the afterlife. I can understand you. I'm joking. I'm joking. But I draw the line at <laughs> animal cruelty. <laughs> okay, if you guys don't know that community quote, it was like, racism, I can tolerate, but I draw the line at animal cruelty. I don't know. <laughs> Just go watch Community. It was such an interesting a, show. Until the last season, it was such a good show. 
So Egypt was not the only place where retainer sacrifice was practiced. Ancient China practiced human sacrifice for quite a while, and not just retainer sacrifice, but also religious ones. One king, Wu Ding, who ruled from 1324 to 1266 BC, may have sacrificed as many as 15,000 humans. If that's true or not, we don't really know, but we do know that thousands of people were sacrificed at the state capital, Yingzhu. So we don't know if the number is 100% sure, but we do know a bunch of people fucking died at that capital. My God. So these sacrifices were mixed with some being treated with great respect and being buried with great fanfare, while others were sacrificed violently and heavily mutilated. There were two types of sacrificial victims, the Rensheng, which meant human offerings, and they were buried in large groups, mutilated, and had little to no grave goods. The other group were the Rangjun, which were called human companions. They were often buried with elaborate grave goods, individual coffins, and even their own Rensheng. Man, can't get shit even in death. It was really bad. Like the Rensheng were found in mass graves. Their body parts were divided into different pits. There were skull pits, headless pits, and mutilated pits. The interesting thing about them is that once their bones were analyzed, they were shown to be from a different area and their diet over time changed to be the diet of the locals. Scholars aren't sure why Yingzhu carried out human sacrifice or if these people were prisoners of war or slaves. It honestly could be both. Like you could literally have just prisoners of war that were turned into slaves and then were then sacrificed as part of a big thing there at the end. That would make sense over time. It's like they'd be the first ones that would go. I guess, yeah. The only thing that we really know is that the Shang dynasty had people ready to be called up as sacrifices at any given time. They were not sacrificed based on availability because they were always kept. Some speculate that sacrifices occurred when there were instability in the country and the leaders wanted to put on a show of strength. So that's what we were talking about at the beginning. To keep the people in check, they'd be like, oh, we got all these guys locked up. Guess what? I uh, mean, if we're going to be talking about it at any point in China, you know, it's like just pick a random year and this many thousands of people died. Pretty bad. So others say that the leaders did it to consolidate power by getting rid of enemies. Whatever the reason, they sacrificed a decent amount of people during this time period. And I say decent amount. Um, is there ever a decent amount? I don't uh, know. See, that's what I'm wondering in here. If you're talking about in terms of numbers, the 15,000 is a pretty substantial number. Okay, so it's a little bit more than a decent amount. It's a indecent amount. How indecent of you. So the largest amount of human sacrifices in China at this time, though, were made to accompany high-status individuals in death. This practice carried on into the Western Zhou dynasty, but by then, fewer people were sacrificed. China was an interesting mix of ritual and retainer sacrifices. So let's look at their ritual sacrifices. One of the most well-known accounts of ritual sacrifice comes from the Aztec Empire. The interesting thing about this is that many historians dismiss the initial accounts of human sacrifice in the Aztec Empire as wildly exaggerated propaganda. Oh my God, I remember that. From one of the things here, because you, you learn about it as a kid, right? As a kid, in studies, you learn about human sacrifice. And then in the mid, like, 2000s and 2010s, because I remember learning about it as a kid. And then there was this whole time period where it was basically being dismissed. Like from the time that I got into high school and other things where it's like, oh no, that was just exaggerated lies by conquistadors. I'm from the Caribbean, so we learn different history. <laughs> Fair enough. So in 2015 and 2018, however, archaeologists working at the Templo Mayor excavation site in Mexico City 
found proof of widespread human sacrifice. They uncovered skull towers and skull racks, the very thing that the conquistadors had described. Did they find any skull shelves? What about a skull, um, like, love seat? I hope not. Okay, listen, so, I'm just saying that they're really missing the ball on how much skull furniture there could potentially be here. What would a skull, you know what, I'm not gonna- We've I'm seen not gonna, the catacombs in France, all right? I've seen what they've done with bone shapes. I There's hated ideas. the catacombs in France. <laughs> I hated that. I, it made me a little bit, mm. it wasn't <laughs> great. So conquistadors had described witnessing Aztec priests slicing open the chests of victims and offering up their hearts to the gods, after which point they would toss the bodies down the steps of Templo Mayor. Now the conquistadors did exaggerate the numbers of victims, but the actual accounts of the rituals seems to be true. There are even temple murals and stone carvings to prove it. So why did they do the things that they did? Well. They sacrificed humans in order to dedicate temples and to reverse droughts and famines. Their belief was that the God of the sun needed human sacrifices in order to keep moving the sun. They truly believed that if they didn't present sacrifices, darkness would win and the world would end, which is, I mean, oh, yeah. is reasonable. Yeah, no, it made sense. There was also a thing though, like that for the opening of a temple. Do you know how many temples were there? I'm assuming it was a ton. Hundreds. And the thing is, so every single time one of the new temple would open, there would need to be a sacrifice. And also every single time there was a festival, there would be a sacrifice at a temple. Meaning you have hundreds of temples within the city. Every single one of those is going to need at least a sacrifice. Yeah, but it's for the sun. And I'm assuming they knew how important the sun was to their lives. So oh, yeah. I mean, if the stakes were that high, look me in the eye and tell me you wouldn't do the same. The stakes weren't that high though. I know, but if they were, you have to like saying, if they were, <laughs> if and they you were. didn't know better, you know better. So you're coming from a place of knowing better. Oh my gosh. Fair. I'm just saying, that's a little moral question. You know how they do all those train track questions and all of those fun little, you know. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, I yeah. get it. That's, just think about it. You guys can message me or put it in the comments of Spotify or wherever you're listening to. I need to know the answer. I, I just want to know. I want to know. No, no, no. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. By all means, by all means, find your little information it's on this. It's a philosophical and question. Like you have to go ponder that now. Okay. Like what would you do if uh, you really thought? You do it. That the world, you guys, listen, if I you gotta, say otherwise, you're no, probably no, no, lying. No, no, no. No, see, I, I'll say this. If I had to live in a world in which uh, human sacrifice was necessary in order to keep it going, I don't think that's a world worth maintaining. Yeah, but you're looking at that right now from what you know of the world without it. Uh, it's true. So no matter what. Yeah, but I mean, if I grew up in the society already Exactly, that's, here, that's the thing. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm, so yeah, if you already grew up in a society, you'd probably make the exact same decisions if you had the exact same beliefs. I mean, you can't yeah. have any of your beliefs or moral leanings from now. Yeah, that's not because I'd be raised to believe it, yeah. Exactly. So anyway, <laughs> why do we end up there? I don't know. The other reason for human sacrifice in the Aztec empire was intimidation. Just like they suspected with the Shang dynasty of China, we suspect that the Aztecs made it a habit of ritually killing prisoners of war. The skull exhibits were just not so friendly reminders of what they were willing to do to their enemies. That was worded so weirdly. It's the ultimate don't fuck with me message, essentially. The interesting thing is, it is believed that many people who were sacrificed went willingly. They found it to be a great honor to appease the gods. And they were guaranteed a spot in the afterlife fighting against darkness if they were sacrificed. So, I mean... 
When it was one of your own citizens, yes, because there were some people that specifically were raised for that. Well, yeah. Though but- the majority of sacrifices they had were like, outsiders and prisoners of war. Well, that, that's the intimidation sacrifice, but I'm talking yeah. about the ritual ones, the ritual ones where they're sacrificing just people for like the sun mm-hmm. to keep the sun going. Cause you remember they were sacrificing people to prevent darkness from winning. If you got sacrificed for that, people were more willing to be sacrificed for that because then they got a permanent spot fighting darkness in the God's army, the sun God's army, mm-hmm. which is pretty freaking cool. I'd do it. And if you all have ever heard of the flower wars, the whole point of those wars was to bring home as many captives as possible in order to maintain a steady supply of sacrifices. That, okay. Flower wars. It's like, yeah, it's and you also to bring them home alive. Yeah, no, you did. So that was the whole point. So when a person went into battle, right, for the, for the whole purpose for the flower wars, when they went in and attacked, the weapons that they utilized were specifically like blunt objects in order to be able to knock someone out. You didn't want them to be bleeding or anything and potentially bleed out because then, you know, you couldn't bring them back in order to actually sacrifice them. That was like part of the whole thing. They also would host those regular flower wars on the rival cities around them of like, hey, this city is at, we're at peace with them. Um, we're going to have a flower war. Oh, but we don't want to have a war. No, we're going to have a flower war. We don't want to have a war. You will have a flower war with us or else we will actually come there and murder everyone instead of just this. So that ritualized thing that they would do is that a flower war, they would send them a message like, hey, we're going to have it on this date. Be there or else. And that's when they would go out there and do that, right? The other thing was that when they would do this, they would continuously wage those wars because think about it, you continuously capture and kill off the fighting men of a city that you are bullying year after year after year. Eventually, that city isn't going to have the fighting men to be able to resist you. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two Colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Up next, we have the Inca. Now, what we know about their ritual sacrifice lies with the discovery of three children mummies at the top of a volcano... Yuyuyaco in Argentina. That's a name. These children were sacrificed 500 years ago and they were ages 15, 7, and 6 years old. This ritual of child sacrifice was called Capa Cocha and was done when a new leader ascended or to stop a natural disaster. These sacrifices were done on shrines that were called huacas. Huacas? Yeah, huacas. Huacas? Yeah, huacas. Which were on mountains. The children were typically sacrificed after being drugged and left out in the cold. The sacrifices were typically not very violent as the children were carefully chosen. Local communities would provide like kids that were blemishless. They only sent the best because they believed they, that they were sending them to live with the gods. So like if you're sending someone to meet the gods, you'd want to send the best of the best. So yeah. people 
sent like their beautiful, like the most beautiful children, like their children. They thought it was an honor to sacrifice, which I thought was really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Like many, many families consider their child being chosen for the sacrifice, like a huge, huge honor. There's the other thing here. I remember going into this that because it is all along the Andes mountains, right? Going all the way down that there is a lot of natural disasters that occur along that entire thing. Right. So the regular thing that they would do is, oh no, the gods are angry. Uh, we need to send them something perfect, like the perfect gift to make them happy. Children. Another example is that of the Mayan people who came along before either the Aztecs or the Inca of Central America. For a long time, it was commonly held by Mayanist experts that the Maya did not practice human sacrifice, but that was not the case. People knew that the Maya performed blood sacrifices involving ritual bloodletting. Oh, this one, more than anything else, this one gets me more. In the sacred book of the Mayans, the first Maya pierced their skin to offer blood to the gods Tohil, Avilix, and Hakavits. And oh my God, I don't know how much detail like I can go into here because it's going to go up on YouTube. <sighs> but that's easily one of the more disturbing parts of this entire thing. Mayan kings and lords would pierce their flesh, generally the uh, genitals, lips, ears, or tongues with sharp objects such as stingray spikes. Such spines are often found in tombs of Maya royalty. Uh. Then for added blood flow, they may drag strings embedded with sharp edges through the opening that they just uh. made. Uh. Now, why they would do such a thing? Well, it does follow a simple form of logic. Maya nobles were considered semi-divine and the blood of kings was an important part of certain Maya rituals, often those involving agriculture. Naturally. Not only male nobles, but female nobles as well took part in this ritual bloodletting. The royal blood offerings were smeared on idols or dripped into bark paper, which was then burned. The rising smoke could open a gateway of sorts between the worlds. If blood was spilled into the crop fields, this would serve to bless that field with divine power and fertility. Mm -hmm. So if simple blood was not enough, the sacrifice of a living creature was a powerful offering and a human sacrifice was the ultimate one. Usually only high status prisoners of war were sacrificed while other captives were used as the labor force. You can't be wasteful after all and peasants don't have divine blood. Oh yeah, no, there's no point in getting rid of Imagine that. Imagine being a noble back then and you're like, oop, hope I don't get chosen this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm still more caught up on the whole thing of like piercing your genitals in order to drain the blood specifically. Because here's the thing. I still remember. Are I'm you saying afraid this. of needles? Like a little I don't piercing like needles is in not the first scary. Place. Gabby, listen, I remember seeing this. I remember as a kid, we saw a documentary that specifically had this because I remember this detail. What it, were you watching as a child? I Okay. Yeah. Listen, I saw this whole thing here, right? And you see a representation they have of like the Aztec king and they have like a string with just barbs out of it, dragging it through their body as it's just like drawing blood out of them. And I remember looking at this as a kid and going, oh. I don't know why you were watching that as a child. Like that. Listen, I like history, all right? I like all kinds of history. I've seen more things that I kind of wish I had ever seen though. I think we got to find you a new hobby. Have you heard of science? Nope, that's pretty gross too. Um, I can't get a new hobby. It's my physics. literal job. You could become you a physicist. Me, no, you don't want me as a physicist. I think you'd be a great physicist. No, no. Okay. Well, onward with the episode because it's getting so late. I'm so tired. I'm my throat hurts. I'm sorry, guys. Dedication to a new building or new ruler required a human sacrifice. 
They really, all, all of them did that? A lot of them did, yeah. I love that. Many of these were depicted in Maya artwork and sometimes took place after the victim was tortured, beaten, scalped, burned, etc. If the sacrifice happened through heart removal, it took place in the courtyard of the temple or summit of the pyramid temple. They just took their heart out. Yeah, yeah. And oftentimes you do it while they're still alive. Like you literally cut their nope. heart out and take Thank it out you. while it's still beating. Okay. The person was painted blue and wore a headdress while being held down by four attendants representing the cardinal directions. The nakom or official used a sacrificial knife to cut into the victim's chest and pull out the heart. He would then pass the heart to the priest where then the blood would be smeared onto the image of the god. Once this occurred, the body was thrown down the steps and skinned by assistant priests, but the hands and feet were left alone. The priests then wore the skin of the victim and performed their ritual dance of rebirth. This is the section that he wrote. So, um, thank you. Yeah. Now to end this by going back to what I spoke about earlier, Sati or Sati of India. This is not a human sacrifice in the same way as all of the others listed before was a human sacrifice. Oh yeah. But in this case, a human is being sacrificed. So I think it, it, it works. So what exactly does Sati mean? Sati originally meant a woman who performed the act of immolating herself after her husband's death. The word is derived from the Sanskrit word asti, which means she is pure or true. The way this came about is supposedly due to Hindu beliefs and one of the gods, Shiva. Sati was the name of the wife of Lord Shiva, and her father never respected Shiva and often despised him. To protest against the hatred that her father had held for her husband, she burned herself. And while she was burning, she prayed to be reborn as Shiva's wife again. Now, this did happen, and her new incarnation was called Parvati. People used to justify the practice based on this tale. But the funny thing is when Sati burned herself, she wasn't a widow and thus the practice is quite unrelated to this tale. So why would they do it? So Sati symbolized closure to a marriage. It was supposed to be a voluntary act in which as a sign of being a dutiful wife, a woman followed her husband to the afterlife. Bro. It's your wifely duties, Gabby. You are so fun. But I feel like if you're in the afterlife, you're going to be there forever, right? And is it going to be like forever of me picking up your socks from the bedroom floor? Yes. It's except they're divine socks. Then they bless your hands for doing so. All I'm right. Okay. I'm so good. Thank you. But I will cry at your funeral. I'll listen, be like, oh my God, he's dead. Listen, think about this. A woman can spend her entire life getting burned by her husband. It's only her duty in the end to maintain that. Burn. But we'll have to like wait to bury you until after like your life insurance comes through. And then I'll like get like a really fancy handkerchief from like a designer. And I'll be like, <laughs> you know. I Thanks. just want your funeral to be the best, babe. Thanks. If I'm not being fired out of a cannon into something, I don't know. I'm I, not firing you out of a cannon. You could, you, okay, hold you on. You want me to sacrifice myself or fire you out of a cannon. These are shitty options. Do not put that in your will because I don't think it's legal. Gabby, my initial goal was to be like, have like the whole Viking funeral style. Like to That's be not legal. No, it, well, yeah, not only is it not legal, but it doesn't work very well because the body won't actually be Burn. consumed by That's the time. That's why it's not legal. Yeah. Um, so I would much rather in this case just be launched out into space because I find the idea hilarious of somewhere down the road, millions of years potentially, my body just smacking into a spaceship like on the windshield of something. I miss Brenna. I miss, I miss Brenna because Brenna wouldn't, 
Yo, can you imagine that? that? Can you imagine that of a spaceship and it's just like a body plaster across it, like the windshield wiper is just going, <laughs> just trying to move what the debris. What's wrong with you? A lot. Okay. 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 Anyway, it was considered to be the greatest form of devotion a wife could show her husband. But like many unfortunate things with women in history, with time it became a forced practice. So I guess it started off at first with her wives willingly doing this to show that they really love their husbands. And then everyone was like, well, too bad. That's too damn bad. You're doing it too. And they're like, I didn't really like him that much. And they're like, nope. Everyone needs to emulate this as a kind of honor because clearly like, the first really, time it was done, it was such a big, great deal. Yeah. And they're like, no, I really hate this guy. Like he farted on me every single night. Okay. I don't want to die with him. And they're like, eh, that's too bad. Too bad. I think the worst application was though, when it was literally applied to fresh marriages, like literally got married. Like they barely knew each other. Like she wasn't that torn up about it. I'm so sorry. Young child gets arranged married to an old man in order to secure an alliance with a family. Husband dies the next month. Didn't even get to meet or consummate the marriage. Still has to get burned alive. Wow. That's not fun. Yeah. So women who did not wish to die like this were forced to do so in different ways. The reason for that is in some cultures in India, a widow traditionally had no role to play in society and was considered a burden. Not all, but some. It, it, re- it is a massive country with a lot of different cultures and traditions. So in some of those places. Yeah, in some of the regions. So if a woman had no surviving children who could support her, she was pressured to accept sati. Initially, the practice of sati was confined to royal families of the Kshatriya, which is a noble or ruler caste, and only later spread to the lower castes, becoming widely practiced among all social classes. Sati was at its peak between the 15th and 18th centuries, and during this period, as many as 1,000 widows were burned alive every year, most commonly in India and Nepal. So I'm going to feel like it was in Northern India. It was more of a Northern India thing, yes. So my family, like, heritage comes from Northern India, and, like, yeah, I'm like, that checks out. Mm-hmm. From a lot of these stories, my grandparents told me, yeah, that, yeah. As for how this went down, there are a number of ways. Most accounts either describe women seated on their husband's funeral pyre or lying down next to the dead body. Some say women would jump or walk into the pyre after it had been lit, while others report that women would sit on the pyre and then light it themselves. And all of these options sound terrible. Awful, but some less torturous methods of execution were also used back then. For example, before being placed on the funeral pyre, a woman could take poison or drugs so that she could either start dying slowly or at least become unconscious. Which that's, that's a whole other, among all ways for at least, at least in that scenario, they won't have to feel as much when that happens, right? I mean, yeah, they did. At least they tried to make it tolerable. Some did, but there were many different stories in here where this would happen, where it's like, oh, woman refuses to be sati. Not only is she forced, there were straight up scenarios where she would be killed by her family as like an honor practice kind of thing. Nope. Like, I'm not even kidding. Like straight up, they would strangle and murder her. With family like that, who needs anyone? Who needs anyone? Yeah. So it's just one of those things that it wasn't common in the sense that there were tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of cases of year. Because obviously so many more husbands died than there were it wives to burn in that It was probably in very specific areas, like a very specific location and probably some surrounding ones that were like, 
we're going to practice this. Yeah. It was also something to where they would see it more potentially where there were cases, as I said, of like a child bride was then forced to do this. Where was that was one of the most horrifying cases when that could happen, but that wouldn't happen as often from what I was able to find. It seemed to be more common with like, say you have a woman who is older that they're likely not going to be able to marry her off again. And remember the whole thing, not only is being a widow more of a burden, being an older woman who's not capable of having more kids or supporting yourself or anything, you're a burden on society. Which also, is, you have to think about where they're allowed to be remarried. Yes, that's and the other big factor. Be, would anyone want to marry them? So it's just, it's all about the culture and the society Correct. at the time. That's why if the consummation of the marriage had not taken place yet, more likely to be able to get away. If it had, tough luck. And guys, I can do a whole other episode on essentially the human sacrifice myths. And even some of these that were listed have myths that go along with them. Because again, it was used to slander all cultures by all of their enemies throughout time. Almost all cultures. Oh, yeah. So I might do another episode that's like human sacrifice, lies. And it's just the, li the lies episode. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, there could be an entire thing of like, folklore myths, rumors, or other things of like what was said about a certain people or group or something that was just false. That was a lie, but it was done as like a political attack or something to make something happen. I mean, you could talk about that with Jewish pogroms. You could talk about that with literally any number of different things. So if you guys want me to do that, do you want me to cover that? Make sure to email us at mysteryofeverything at gmail.com. The email is in the description. But thank you guys so much for listening. And I really miss Brenna. So I hope she comes back soon. Thanks. <laughs> I'm Steven, also called Stakui. And I feel so great right now. No, I love you. I just feel like this is basically the history of everything. If I'm hosting it with you. Hey, hey, hey. I, I, liked, I liked being the person that was not the person telling the story in here sometimes. It's fun to be able to add in any number of my insane thoughts or tangents just to and throw boy, it in there. And boy, were they insane today. We're covering human sacrifice. Well, do you expect these to be normal? Was hoping a little bit, yeah. Anyway, I think we're done here. My next episode is going to be on deep water disasters. So make sure to check me out in two weeks because next week will be Brenna's and then the week after will be mine and mine will be deep water disasters. I'm pretty sure Brenna's will be on hypnosis. So... Thank you guys for listening and we hope you stick around to hear the rest. Stakui here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.